I want to talk to you about good news. I don't know about you, but um, I was tired of the good news of 2020. Anybody else tired of it? Yeah. Then 2021. Oh, my gosh. More bad news. We're not going to talk about it. I'm not going to list it. Uh, we're not going to do it. Matter of fact, instead, let me tell you some good news. Uh, we have in our midst somebody who accomplished a major life goal. Pastor Doug Husen passed the California State Bar. Yeah. Yeah. Doug did it. And, and by the way, in an incredible way. And so we're so proud of you and we're celebrating with you. And, and uh, that is just really fun to have Doug really make that goal and make it happen. And I hope in 2020 you have our 20, <laughs> I hope in 20, if you made it, never mind. All right. I hope in 2021 you have amazing things that are happening for you, good things that are happening for you. And so we talked about that. We talked about the idea that when the good news is this, when you're connected to God and connected to others, you will overcome. The Bible doesn't say you might overcome. The Bible says you will overcome. You will have the victory. You will rise up if you're connected to God and connected to others. So last week you talked about connected to God. Now I want to talk about being connected to others. One of my favorite songs is by a group called King and Country. Uh, And they have a song called Together. Anybody else know that song? Okay, yeah, yeah. It's like an anthem we need for this moment, right? And the whole idea in the song is this, is if we fall, because at some point we'll fall, if we fall, we'll fall together. But if we rise, we'll rise together. That's very biblical. That is very gospel or good news oriented. And so what I want you to know is that's true. So if we fall, we'll fall together. But we will rise And when we rise, we're going to rise together. And so we need to understand how important that is. By the way, research shows that to be true. That if you have positive people in your life, by the way, let me uh, stop there. Uh, You have to have positive people in your life. So uh, some of you are going, man, I need some of those. Uh, But positive people in your life. uh, Then what happens is we find people do significantly better. Uh, In 2008, there was this incredible study done in Scandinavia. So the 2008 Scandinavian study on support. And uh, by the way, some of you might go, oh, 2008. Well, let me tell you why that's important. That study not only was true then, it has been tested over time to be found to be true. So as as your pastor, I always want to bring you fact and not fiction. Does anybody else want fact and not fiction? Yeah. And so, so here's the fact. The fact was that people who suffer from psychosis, in other words, they've had a break from reality. They, uh, they, they have a hard time telling the difference between what is delusional and what is real. And they're the most, some, one of the most difficult groups of people to treat that the key factor in their successfully seeing improvement was a positive support system. People who cared about them, people who were for them, people who would love them, people who would show up and be with them. And so that study showed, and it's been time-tested, that that whenever someone has positive support in their life, they do significantly better. Now, by the way, the vast majority of you are not suffering from a psychosis. There are a few of you. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) 
know, okay. But, but here's the thing. We know that's true. Uh, the Mayo Clinic also did a study, and they found this, that loneliness is detrimental to your health, which we know that's true. But listen to what they found in the Mayo Clinic study, that people who feel uh, uh, la- lonely tend to suffer significant problems in their physical health, that it's bad for your heart, it's bad for your immune system. Uh, and so, uh, for instance, uh, a doctor named John Casapio uh, found out that when people are lonely and isolated, that they don't sleep as well. During this COVID crisis, I've talked to a lot of people, and they said, I feel like I'm sleeping more, but I'm actually more tired. You, you know where I'm going with that? They said, I'm sleeping more but I'm not, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm getting energy. And here's what almost for sure would be true then, is you're isolated, you're lonely. You don't have people in your life like you need. Uh, and so Dr. Casapio found this out. He found out that when people are lonely, they not only get less quality of sleep, but their heart works harder and it damages their blood vessels. Is that interesting and bad? That's not good news. Some of you are going, wait, where's the good news? But when you have positive people in your life, the Mayo Clinic found you feel less lonely, you feel less isolated, and you feel less judged. You feel less judged. So you end up doing better. You intend to be happier. You intend to have higher level of life satisfaction. But the key is it's got to be the right person. It's got to be the right people. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 says this. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other person uh, can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. We all the time use that verse in marriage, but it's a verse for life. It's a verse for life. So see, in life, if you have you and you have God and you have that other person who's positive in your life, it says you will not be easily defeated. And actually, the Bible goes on to say you will rise up, you will overcome, you will have the victory. So everybody needs that. Two are better than one. Two are better than one. And we need to understand how true that is. Uh, we've used this illustration before, uh, but there's a kind of a horse, a breed of horse called a draft horse. Uh, we're going to show you a picture of it right now. Uh, a draft horse. They're beautiful, beautiful horses, and they're made to pull uh, uh, incredible amounts of weight. Now, interestingly, there's competitions held, and through those competitions, they've also done studies, and they found that one draft horse can pull 8,000 pounds. So let me ask you a question. How many pounds do you think two draft horses can pull? What's your guess? Put it in the chat or tell somebody right now. What do you think two draft horses can do? Are you ready? Uh, Two draft horses can actually pull 24,000 pounds. Not 16, 24. They're actually, actually stronger together, more than double the strength together than apart. Now, if those horses have been trained, Not just put together to pull, but they've been trained to pull together. In other words, they're a team that knows how to support each other. Guess what? They pulled 32,000 pounds of weight. 
See, what God wants you to know is that when you're with other people who are like-minded, when you're with other people who have the same focus you do, that there's that you not only can overcome, you can overcome in bigger ways and greater ways that make huge differences. And God wants that for you. So let me ask you a question. Do you have people in your life you know by name who are going to be there for you? When you need them to show up, they'll show up. And... When they do, they give you godly advice. This is a big key. Not just give you advice, but give you godly advice. And point you to God and align with you and a focus on God and connect you to God deeper because of their relationship with you. Do you have people like that in your life? People who are positive and not negative. People who are going to go in the same direction you go in. Amos 3.3 says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? In other words, when you start moving in the same direction, God says great things happen. But you and I have to have people in our life who are, are committed to the direction Jesus sets, the way of Jesus, who say to you those words, this is the way. <laughs> Am I the only one? <laughs> this is the way. So, by the way, did you guys know that Christians were called the way? That was the, originally our name, that we were people who walked in the way together. And so what you need to know is God wants you to have people like that in your life. And God says when you don't have that, it's not good. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Uh, the word helper literally is the word, it's one who comes alongside to rescue. And God says this, God says, I know it's not good for you to be alone. I know it's not good for your heart. It's not good for your circulation. It's not good for your immune system. Why? Because God designed you not only to live a life with him, but a life with others. A life with others. Uh, by the way, when God said it's not good to be alone, again, research shows that's true. Psychology Today reported this. People who are suffering from loneliness are 50% more likely to die prematurely. In other words, physically it hurts you. Mentally it hurts you. Spiritually it's definitely not good for you. So God is saying this. It's not good for man to be alone. So God looked at Adam in the Garden of Eden before the fall, before sin set in, and said there's something not good here. Why? Because God designed it on purpose that Adam would need Eve. Adam would need somebody else. So the Bible says what happened is God created uh, uh, Eve so that they could fit together. The word suitable means uh, that they would complement each other. They would be different, but they'd be better together than apart. And then please lean in on this. I want to take you on a little bit of a journey biblically. In Genesis 2, after he makes Eve, who is suitable for Adam, who is Adam's answer to loneliness, he said this, God taught, said these words through Moses in Genesis 2.24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Now, those four principles that are found in that verse will help you have a better, if not great, marriage. But what most people don't know, and I'm about to tell you what most people don't know, do you know this? Matter of fact, before I tell you, do you already know this is true? Is while God created Eve for Adam, God had a higher purpose and a better way to meet that need he had designed ahead of time. 
And when Jesus would come, Jesus would open us up to that better way. So if you're single, if you're sitting here going and you're single, you're going, hey, I didn't come to hear a passage on marriage. Well, guess what? While marriage is vital and marriage is important, Paul tells us those verses I read are best fulfilled, not in marriage, but in another relationship. What's that other relationship? Well, we go to the book of Ephesians, and Paul quotes those very words, but listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. It says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then Paul said this, This mystery is great. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Did you catch that? Man, I'm a believer in marriage. I'm married to the best woman on earth, my wife, Pam, who's watching right now. That's you, Pam. And, uh, but here's the thing I want you to know, that as incredible as that is, our relationship is temporary in marriage. Did you know when you get to heaven, you're not going to be married? What will be eternal is your relationship in the church. So the highest relationship that you can have is with brothers and sisters in the church with the church family. Uh, By the way, the number one way to take away loneliness, the best way God designed, is your relationship with people in the church. And when you have that, you will rise up. When you have that, you will overwhelmingly conquer. When you have that, you'll have what God wants for you to have. Because God wants the church to be your family. A family that's eternal, a family that goes on, a family that shows up, a family that walks together, a family that appoints you to that very place. And by the way, we all the time are trying to help you find meaningful relationships in your church family. Uh, Life groups is one of those. And so, you know what, if you don't have a life group, we want you to have a life group. People you share life with. My mom and dad had a great marriage. My dad... My dad died way too young. And you know what? My sister and I were not in the immediate area. So do you know who surrounded my mom? People from this church. People from this church. They were family to my mom. They cared for my mom. My mom was never alone or lonely because of Crossroads. And by the way, I want to say to all the Crossroads family, thank you for being that kind of a church. Thank you for being that kind of a church. We need to know that God designed us to be in a connected relationship with people who walk in the same direction. And the church is the place you find that. And we have all sorts of ways for you to find that here. If you're brand new to the Bible, we have an incredible place for you to start called Alpha. And Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. And that's where you start. And so we want to start you on a journey of understanding the depths of Scripture and the riches of the Bible. Uh, We have other life groups. Uh, By the way, we have affinity life groups that we're starting. Uh, There's a surfing group. Doug, I think you're in that. Am I right? Yeah. And there's a a jeeping group, which they kicked me out of. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Because the other day, Pam and I got lost, which we, that's a whole other story. We got lost. 
Yeah, I was going over boulders, and I realized there's not supposed to be boulders on this trail. Um, and, and so here's the thing I want you to know. Uh, we have men's groups, women's groups, singles groups, college groups, uh, high school groups, junior high groups, children's groups, everywhere. Why? So you can build relationships and share life. Because discipleship, please listen, discipleship cannot hype, happen in isolation. It's always found together. It's always found together. And so what we need to understand is when you have other people who are moving in that same direction, you will overcome. You will rise up. You will find the joy and depths of meaning God wants you to have. So you need God and you need others. You need God and you need others. You, live, you need to live that together life with other people. Uh, there's a verse in the Bible that I, is very interesting. And I want to give you the context of it, but here's the point. God had, after the flood, after Noah and his family came out of the ark, uh, the earth started to be populated again. And God said, I want you to spread out and populate the earth. But the people began to gather together in a city called Babel. And they started to build a tower there so they would never, ever do what God wanted them to do, which is spread out and fill the earth. Now, God looked at them. And God said there are three things true of this people, by the way, who are being disobedient. But if these people keep doing these three things, nothing will be impossible to them. So if they're doing the wrong thing and nothing's impossible, more than ever, you know, if you do the right things, nothing will be impossible. Does that make sense? Are you with me? And so we see three principles God said for overcoming the impossible. And it found in Genesis eleven six. It said, the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. God said, do you see that? These are the three things that create the ability to overcome the impossible. With God, all things are possible. And God says, with the right people doing the right things with the right focus, nothing's impossible to you. So how do we rise up? How do we see that happen? We need those three things true in our life. Those three things true, listen, in our relationships. In our relationships. And so what are they? Number one, it says, this the Lord said behold they are one people in other words they have unity together there's a united focus in their lives they have come together they cling together they have a commitment together unity is the place of blessing unity is the place of blessing in Psalm 133 it says this behold Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers uh, to dwell together in unity. It is like precious oil upon the head, coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded, listen to this, the blessing, life forever. You know what, I don't know if you had this happen, but um, my mom and dad used to take my sister and I on long car trips. And uh, I would say about uh, a short period of time in, usually around a, probably the hour mark, we would get into a fight in the back seat. Uh, anybody else do that? And my mom and dad would be so upset, you're ruining the trip because you guys can't get along. You know what, God sometimes looks at the church and goes, you guys are ruining my trip. <laughs> I want you to get along. 
And uh, here's the thing I want you to know, is that when we're in unity together, that's where the blessing is found. That's where life is found. That's where God's love does great things. So what do we need? One of the first things we need in relationships are people we're in unity with, people we are united and going in the same direction with. So that's the first thing we need. The next thing we need is the same language. Notice what God said in Genesis 11:6. Behold, they are one people, and they have the same language. They have the same language. Uh, anybody who studies culture uh, knows how important language is. Um, I, for my graduate work, had to take three classes on multiculturalism. Uh, not one, but I had to take three. Uh, by the way, I'll be honest with you. Every time I had one coming, a new multiculturalism class, I was always like, really? And then they turned out to be amazing. They were amazing. Uh, the things we learn, the things we know, how culture is found and formed, how culture remains healthy and strong. And, and there are certain things that make culture real. Uh, then there are certain things you can do to ruin culture. Um, sad to say, this is not good. I, I hope you would agree with me. But uh, uh, over 100 years ago, there was a movement in our country to destroy the American Indian culture. And it was very clearly strategized. The idea is they would remove children from their homes. They would not allow them to speak their language, not allow them to dress the way they would want to dress, not let them know the history of their tribe, and not let them eat their food that they were used to eating. By the way, it was devastating upon them mentally and physically. And we look at that today, and I think most of us are in horror that occurred. But the people who did it did know what it would take to destroy culture. By the way, let me say this. There is a Christian culture. And the question is, are you and I a part of the Christian culture? Uh, to be in the Christian culture, you have to have those certain things true for you. Uh, you and I need to speak the same language, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. We also need to know our history. We also need to know our heroes. Hopefully you know our heroes. You know Elijah and Elisha. You know Abraham and, and Moses. You know, uh, the, the, obviously Jesus is the most important he hero in our history. Uh, but you know what? You, we have Christian heroes in the Bible and outside the Bible. Uh, and, and so do you know our heroes? And, of course, Christians have food. We have Chick-fil-A and In-N-Out. <laughs> If you're in the South, you have fried chicken and sweet tea. But, but here's the thing, is Christians really do have a culture. Uh, there's something we have, a, a language, and, and I think this is kind of interesting. Uh, some people mock the Christian language and call it Christianese. Uh, and I was intrigued by this. In my, in, in my word, Microsoft Word, uh, in spell check, it recognizes Christianese as a word. I was actually surprised at that. And I thought, well, my spell check knows Christianese. Does my church family know Christianese? And if they don't, whose fault is that? It would be mine. You see, when you become a believer, you become part of the Christian culture, which means you become a part of the heritage of Christianity, the heroes of Christianity, and you become part of the language of Christianity. 
Do we have a language we know? If you're a brand new believer, that's like being a baby. That's okay you don't know it. But if you've been a Christian a year, two years, three years, five years, and you don't know our language, then we're in danger of you not being a part of our culture. Let me say that again. One of the quickest ways to destroy culture is to take away your unique language. And so Christians have a unique language. Uh, We have words we use like sanctification. Uh, like righteousness. By the way, the Bible says in Romans 14, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you don't even know the meaning of righteousness, then you can't have the kingdom active in your life. Uh, we, we use words like, uh, uh, like grace, like the whole idea of the idea that we would be uh, justified and, and, and be a people of justification. And all those things are things you ought to know in the moment. Uh, probably the most misunderstood word of the kingdom is the word repent or repentance. And uh, I found people misusing that word all the time. And so here's what I want you to know, is that we need to make sure that if we're going to be disciples, we know our language. And we need to have that same language. And we need to be able to speak that same language and share that same language together. And God's great desire is that be true of us, that we are people whose, whose vocabulary is shaped by the word and not by the world. See, I think that's where it gets real scary. People who call themselves Christians can actually be very comfortable speaking the language of the world, but they're, they're, the language of the word is foreign to them. And, and, and as a pastor, I wonder, are we doing a good job? I, I always ask that. Billy Graham, when he was alive, one of our heroes, by the way. Did anybody else agree Billy Graham's one of our heroes? All right. He had a, a young pastor come to him and say, Dr. Graham, I really want to be a better pastor. I, I want to lead my church better. And so Billy Graham arranged for him to meet a pastor of a very, very large church and uh, have that man mentor him. And so this young pastor went to his church on the first Sunday. And uh, on Monday, he called Dr. Graham up, Billy Graham up, and he said, I, I can't go back there. I can't go back there. And Billy Graham said, Why? He said, I'm not trying to be judgmental, but, but I listened to that sermon. I don't think there was really one verse of scripture in it. He read scripture one time, but he really didn't teach it. And I sat there thinking, what's going on? And then after it was over, I was bothered and I was standing outside the church and a man walked up to me and he said, are you okay? And I, I thought, I don't want to get negative. So he just looked at him and said, hey, uh, um, is that sermon typical? And he said, yeah, it is. And he said, um, well, let me talk to you about the Bible. And he started asking him questions about the Bible, but not telling him why. And the guy couldn't answer him. He wasn't able to answer uh, biblical truth and biblical theology questions. And this young pastor looked and said, how long have you been going to this church? He said, 20 years. He said, Dr. Graham, I can't go back there. That's not a church of the word. That's not a church founded on the word. That's not a church what we would call passionately committed to the word. And Billy Graham said, okay, let me give him a call. And he called and said, I want to tell you what my, 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 young, men, my young guy told me. And the pastor, I'm going to give him credit, according to Billy Graham, didn't get defensive. He said, all right, let me see if that's true. And they surveyed their people and found their people did not know the word. They didn't know the language of the word. The truths of the word, the theology of the word. And uh, I want to tell you, 
I have I, my commitment it to you as a pastor is that would not be true for you or true for us. But I gotta always ask the question: Is it? I mean, I can't just act like it's okay. Do we know? One way we know is the Bible says in Matthew twelve forty five that that the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So let me just tell you what you might say, Chuck, how do you check to see if this is true? I have more than one way, but one way I check to see if it's true is when I bump into you. And by the way, some of you are going, "Uh uh-oh, I was put on the spot. Let me tell you, I was testing me, not you. Do you understand where I'm going? I'm testing me, not you. But when I meet you at Albertsons, I meet you at Home Depot, which also has a Christian culture. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) And we start to talk. If we talk very long and we don't talk about Jesus, we don't talk about the Bible, then I know that's not what's in the heart. And and so I listen. Do you quote scripture when you talk with me? Just does it come out? Uh, When our staff gets together, I I listen. Do we quote scripture? By the way, I want to say this. Most people can quote things of the world. Can we quote, quote things of the word? Does everybody agree that we should be a people of the word? Does everybody agree with that? Yeah, so. And if you're going right now, uh uh-oh, would I pass the test? Let me say it again. You're not the one being tested. I am. I'm your pastor. And if you're with me and you're with my other pastors and we're not teaching the word and that's not shaping your vocabulary, we will never be a strong people. And I don't want to get into bad news, but let me just say this. Another way I test is I look at social media. (laughs) I'm going to quit doing that. (laughs) Too many people can quote politics, but they can't quote theology. And the fruit that's coming is usually not good when that's the case. Because you know what? The Bible's clear, 1 Timothy 1.5. The goal of our instruction is love. And if we're not loving, by the way, the Bible even says if you have an enemy, what are you to do? What are you supposed to do to your enemy? You're supposed to what? Would you agree on social media then that means you say loving things to your enemy? I'm not saying you agree with them. I'm not saying you don't try to show them the right way. But you don't don't demonize them. You don't judge them. You don't attack them. That's not the Christian culture. And uh, we need to be a people of the word, not of the world. And so God's great call for you and I is to be that way. So there were three things God said, if they're true, you'll overcome. One is we're the same people. The next is we have the same language. Then the third is we have the same mission. It says when they begin to do this, nothing will be impossible. So we're the same people with the same language doing the same thing. And everybody who's a part of our church family hopefully has the same mission that overrides everything else we do in life, that we exist to bring people into a passionate commitment to Christ, His cause, and His community. That that's what we do. That's who we are. That's what our direction is. That's what our commitment is. By the way, that means that would be true whether you're a police officer or a firefighter or a school teacher or a a, a grocery store employee or a a sell computers, uh, by the way, or you're at the bar. Uh, You know, you're an attorney, which just so you know, I'm so proud of Doug because you always know this. When Doug passed the bar, he didn't do it for himself. He did it to help other people in the cause of Christ. Do you guys know that's true of Doug? Uh, We already know he's not veering off mission. 
And we all have that same mission. We all have that same direction. We all have that same calling. I, uh, years ago, was a pastor of a church called Christ Church of the Valley. I was the youth pastor there, the next-gen pastor. And uh, one of the college girls in the group had come to me, and she said, Hey, would you pray, would you pray for my dad to become a Christian? She goes, I, I just want to ask, would you be willing to pray that? And I said, Yeah, bet I will. And so we prayed and prayed and prayed. We prayed that on a Sunday. On Wednesday, she comes running up to me. She goes, Pastor Chuck, God answered our prayer I, in a way that I'm so shocked. I go, did your dad become a Christian? He goes, not yet. But here's the good news. He works for a grocery store. It was Stater Brothers, and he's a butcher, and they transferred him to another store. And the head butcher of that store was a guy named Ron who attended our church. She goes, that is so exciting. God put him with, with somebody I know will share the faith. Let me stop there. If someone got transferred to work with you, would we all go, oh, yes, you're going to hear the word of God. By the way, I think for a majority of you, yeah, you would. And it would not surprise you. I'm not exaggerating. Ron ended up leading her father to Christ. You know what? Because we knew we knew he was a man of mission. We knew he had the same focus. We knew he would do that. And so you and I need to be that way too. And so here's what God says to you and to me. God says, you know what? If you fall, you will rise. You will rise if you are connected to me and you're connected to others. You will rise if you know people who are your people, who talk the same language and have the same focus. And God wants that with you and God wants that for you. And we need to be a people who are committed. We're the committed ones, committed to God and committed to each other. And right now, I want you to know you need that commitment. You need the commitment to God and commitment to each other. And if you're here or you're online, I want to tell you God wants you to experience that. God's calling you not only into a relationship with Him, but in being a part of a family, a church family. Uh, and so if you today are not in a vital relationship with God, either you've never made that commitment or you need to recommit, I'm going to invite you to do that. I'm going to invite you, whether online or here, to make that decision. It's interesting. The Bible tells us how we do that. One is we make a commitment to God. But the other is God wants you to make a commitment that your church family can see. Why? Because he wants you connected there. And so right now, if you're watching uh, or you're here on the patio, I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to the Lord either for the first time or to recommit. I'm going to ask you to say, you know what, I know if I do this, I can live that life where the impossible becomes possible. Where nothing can hold me down and nothing can hold me back. And so it begins by you saying, I want that kind of connection God told me to have with him and with others. And so right now, some of you need to, for the very first time, say yes to Jesus and yes to being a part of the church. Some of you need to recommit yourself. Uh, right now, this is your moment. You need to say, you know what? No more, no more being halfway. I'm ready to be completely committed. And I want to have that same people, and I want to have that same language and that same focus. It's time that I get back to that.
And so right now, I want to tell you, I'm going to ask you to make a, a step of commitment. If you're watching online, I want you to text AMEN, which means the truth. And you're going to be telling us, I want to be committed. And I want to be a part of a relationship with God and with this church family. And so if you're watching right now and you need to do that, this is your moment to commit. I'm going to ask you to text AMEN and text it in right now. Don't hold back. And then we're going to get back to you and find out who you are and have people pray for you and find ways for you to connect. And so that's for all of you who are watching online. If you're here on the patio, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to make a step of commitment. Uh, I'm going to pray a prayer and then pray with you. And then if you're ready to say yes to Jesus for the first time or to recommit, I'm going to ask you after we pray this prayer, I'm going to ask you to stand up wherever you are and come walking down here. And let us as a church family cheer for you because we'll cheer for you. Uh, some people are, I, I had a guy say this to me. I had a hard time making that step, making that commitment walk. Because I kept thinking, what will people think? Let me tell you what, if you're wondering what would people think, I can tell you what we would think. We would think, praise God. We would think, man, we are for you. We would be. By the way, how many of you get so overjoyed when you see somebody make that walk for God? Anybody else here? Yeah. You know why? Because we care about you. And it's part of being a part of a group, a, a, a family, the same people. And so right now, some of you, we're going to pray, but you need to, in a moment, you need to make that walk either for the first time or to recommit. You could actually say to somebody, come with me. Never ever do you make the walk alone. You always do it some way with others anyway. But if you want to say, somebody come with me, you can. So right now online, text amen. Right now, let me pray. And some of you, I'm going to ask you in a moment to make that walk. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, I pray for anyone right now who needs to who needs to find their commitment with you real and their commitment to a church family true. Oh, I pray for them. I pray, oh God, for someone who's sitting here and and or sitting online and and God your spirit's stirring. I pray, God, they can sense you calling them. Right now, is that you? God loves you. God cares about you. And God wants a real relationship with you. Is that you? Do you need to do this for the first time? Or do you need to, to recommit? God loves you. Right now, God loves you. Are you ready to say yes to him? If so, pray this. Whisper these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I say yes to you. I say yes to the life you have for me. I want to be yours. I want forgiveness. I want you to make me new. But I want to be yours. So I say yes. Just say those words. I say yes. Right now, if God's touching you, God's calling you for the first time to recommit, say, I say yes. I say yes. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer, praise God.